Yeah, hello. And uh, thanks so much for having me here, uh, us here. Um, we've been to Amsterdam a couple of times before, um, uh, but just coming here to visit you as a church uh, makes it extra special. Um, and meeting different people, obviously spending time with Matt and Joe and their kids has been great, uh, and just meeting a few others as well over the last couple of days has been fantastic. Um, and it feels, I guess for me, it feels like a bit of a privilege to turn up when you're on the eve or the cusp of like a new adventure as a church, going into two meetings in the morning. I know you've already got an evening service as well. And uh, in the, so I lead a church in London, um, and we've had that, we've been through that process both in this church and in a previous church in Bristol of multiplying. Um, we've been through it a few times, and so we know something of the joy, woo, and uh, Occasionally, you know, minor struggles and challenges that come with it as well. Um, and so I guess I just, I, I feel like I just want to bring some encouragement into the mix of that to you as a church. Um, when, I, when I was, before I came, I had a, a sermon lined up on something completely different from what I'm going to say. <laughs> it was actually a great sermon, really, really good. Um, uh, but I just felt over the last day or two that I should, I should switch my plans and bring something different to, to speak more directly into what's about to happen in the life of Liberty Church. Um, and the way I'd love to do it is just um, go through a passage of the Bible in a book of the Bible called Ephesians. Uh, so if you're new to church, um, there's quite a few books of the Bible that are basically letters that were written to churches in the first century, um, often written by this guy called Paul. Uh, who started a lot of those churches and then wrote letters to them to teach them about Jesus, about the church, about how to live, answering some of their questions um, and encouraging them. And um, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read through the first seven verses, and then we're just going to kind of go through it a bit. And I, I, just, I guess I'll just be praying that God will have some words to speak directly into your hearts as individuals and as a church as well. So it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he was in prison when he wrote this, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Um, and so it's going to be fairly simple. We're li I'm literally just going to go through it line by line and make a few comments along the way. Um, so it kind of it, it starts, obviously you're kind of, when you read a bit of scripture like this, you're kind of, you're starting halfway through a letter, which is a bit of an odd thing to do. You wouldn't normally do that when you read a letter. Uh, it makes sense to understand a little bit of what has come before. We are literally about halfway through, and he starts by saying, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And basically, he has just spent the first half of the letter describing the calling to which they have been called. He spent three chapters describing everything that Jesus has done, what he's achieved through his death on the cross, 
his resurrection, what that means for them individually as Christians. He describes how they used to be dead in their sins, separate and cut off from God, but that because of what Jesus had done, their sins had been forgiven, they'd been cleansed, uh, they'd been set free, they'd been brought into relationship with their Father in heaven. They'd, he actually describes it like you've been seated alongside him in heavenly places, you've been given a position of honor and glory next to Christ in the spiritual realm, that they've received every spiritual blessing that there is to receive, uh, forgiveness and redemption, and they've been brought in as sons and daughters of the living God, that they've been caught up in the purposes of God that are gonna last for all eternity. And then he starts to describe how, not just individually, but they've been called together into the people of God, that they used to be kind of separate and cut off from the people of God, but now they've been brought in to the people of God so that God's plans for his people now includes them. And he starts to describe in those first few chapters how God's plans for his people, for the church, the, the, the people of God around the world, God's plan is to put the church on display so that all the heavenly authorities can see the wisdom of God and what he's doing in the church and it would be like in the, in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realms and across the earth, everyone would get to see the glory of God because of what he does in the church. So it's this kind of, a, it's like, it's pretty big picture, grand sweep kind of stuff and he's basically saying the whole of human history has been ordered around this reality of what Jesus came to do with his death and his resurrection. And then what he's now doing, now that he's ascended and he's in the heavens, but he's still ruling over everything. And it says in Ephesians 1, for the church, to bring about his great purpose of having people in every nation, speaking every language from every culture, worshiping him and honoring him. And it's pretty, it's, I don't know, you all look fairly calm about it. I feel quite excited about that because what that means is that when we turn up at church, it's not just that we're turning up at church. It means that it's something mind-blowingly bigger than that. It means we're participating in the main thing that the creator of the universe is doing on earth. And uh, so it's amazing stuff. And then he basically, that's why he then says, Therefore, I urge you to, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've received. If, if all of that is true, and that's what you're a part of when you're a Christian and when you're involved in a local church, if you are the thing that God is doing to display his glory in the whole earth, then walk that out in a manner that is worthy of that calling. That is profound. So that means the way that we live, the way that we function as churches, what we pray about and live for and give to and the way we serve, all of that flows from this reality of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is still doing. And uh, so that's the heart of it. And, and I guess that's the heart of what I wanna say to you as you're on the kind of the eve of starting something new, of multiplying as a church is a big step for you as a church community, but it's all a part of what Jesus is doing in this worldwide strategy of displaying his glory to the whole earth.
Um, and uh, I guess three things that as we go through it. The first one is it, it calls for a kind of relational unity. When you multiply, things start to get stretched and relationships get stretched. People that you sat next to one week, you won't see the week after. People that uh, you're on a serving team with and you're just building a bit of a relationship with might be in the different service to you the week after. And so you, the relationships that you're building, which are a massive part of what the church is, the family of God, these relationships, they get, they get stretched. And so he says, live out this calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's like he knows, yeah? It's like he's been to church. <laughs> it's like he's been in one. And so he knows, live out this calling. This thing that God is doing is so precious, he's putting it on display for the whole world to see it. So therefore, you're gonna need a lot of humility. You're gonna need a lot of patience. You're really gonna need to be gentle with one another and you're gonna to have to bear with one another in love. I know that there's been times, even as the, the godly, sanctified saint that you see before you today, there have been times when church life feels stretched. I used to, I used to lead worship in, in, a, in our church and I've done it a bit ongoing when you, know, you, you turn up early, you lug speakers around, you've been practicing during the week, you start to serve, you do one service, you do the next service, and then someone comes up to you at the end who's like their third time at church and they start giving you advice on what you should have done differently. <laughs> and you feel like, I would like, to, I would like to respond with the spiritual gift of the headbutt at this point. <laughs> this is how I'm feeling towards you. Uh, you know, and, and that, most of you probably don't have that urge because you're more godly than that. Uh, but you know something of what I am describing of where you feel like sometimes, okay, I've served, but then no one seems to appreciate it. Or I gave myself to that person and now they've, they've moved away and that's disappeared. And the relational unity of the church, particularly in a season when you're multiplying, it's like it gets stretched. And so what Paul is calling you to as a church is, is living out this calling that you've received to be put on display as a reflection of the glory of God, to live it out with, with gentleness towards each other, with humility, like being willing to serve when not always being recognized, to live it out bearing with one another in love so that when someone, you used to be on a serving team with someone who turned up on time and did everything right, and now you're on a serving team with someone who's always late and always wants to swap and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it's like, Actually, what does God call you to in that? He calls you to patience. He calls you to gentleness. He calls you to bear with one another in love. He calls you to humility. And that relational maturity, that relational unity is actually part of what you're called to in this next season. It's part of what Jesus wants to put on display because that basically is Christ-likeness. You're basically learning to live like Jesus, loving people when they're not being particularly lovely, being patient with people, being gentle, that's how the Bible describes what Jesus is like. Doesn't mean he was weak, doesn't mean he couldn't ever say anything, 
but in everything he did, he did it with gentleness. And you're called to live that out in this next season. So there's a kind of relational unity. Then the next verses describe what I'm just going to call for today, like a kind of gospel unity. It says this, it says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And because he's trying to, he wants to emphasize unity to them, that's obviously what he's kind of urging them towards. He does it in quite an obvious way in a sense by just emphasizing the oneness. And he does it, he actually does it seven times. I can't do seven with one finger, but uh, seven times uh, to, to communicate in, in, in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completeness and perfection. So he's, he's basically saying there's this complete and perfect unity in, in gospel truth. There's, there's, there's one spirit and one hope and one body, that's talk, describing the church. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, and there's one faith and one baptism, and there's one God and Father over all. And he's wanting to emphasize to them the, the oneness of the faith that they share. And one of the things that's gonna hold your unity together as you keep multiplying uh, is, is the oneness of your faith. It's the kind of the centrality of who Jesus is and what he has done and what it means. It's the gospel, that's what we, did, we called the gospel, the good news, the message that the whole of the Bible is trying to communicate to you, that, that there is one saviour, Jesus Christ, there's one faith, there's one baptism, that, that it gives you a hope that's gonna last for all eternity, that there's one God who rules over everything for the church, that there's one church and, and, and knowing what you're about is part of your essential unity. When you multiply things and things get stretched, you can get so caught up in the activity of what's going on that the reason that you're doing it can kind of fade into the background a little bit. It, it can kind of almost drop off the radar because the re it becomes, oh, it's really important that we get this rotor filled and it's really important that we finish on time in the first service so that the second one can start and it's really important that we have enough coffee and, and, you know, and almost like the details can come to the forefront of your mind which means the main thing that you're about as a church can accidentally fade to the background. Actually one of the ways that you keep your unity and your togetherness is by just keeping on remembering this is the reason that we're here. There's actually no other reason to turn up to church other than this. That, that there's this gospel reality that there's these truths that, are, that they are at the center of all creation, of everything that God has made. The reality that's at the center of it is that God himself became man. And that as man, he lived a perfect life. That there's, there's, I, I believe in this one faith in who Jesus is and what he achieved through his death and his resurrection. It might be that you're here for the, you, I don't know, because I literally don't know hardly anyone here. I don't know, you might, you might have walked into church today, first time, second time, third time in church. You're still trying to wrap your head around it. You're thinking, ah, oh, these people seem quite friendly. I like the music, a few other good things. No, you just, it's important for you to understand this gospel, this good news is at the center 
of everything that happens in this church. I know that without ever having been, because I know Matt and Joe, and I know we're on the same page. It's the, same, it's the center of everything that happens in our church in London and the other churches in Berlin and Brighton and different places that are gonna, new churches are gonna be started because this is the defining reality that there is in the world. There's nothing else worth basing a church on. There's nothing else worth basing a life on other than this, than this reality of one faith, one Lord, one body, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of all. So there's like a relational unity that's important. There's a, a gospel unity that's gonna be so important for you and I'm really confident in all those things that you're gonna be led well into that and you're gonna do well in it as a church. The final thing is kind of the thing that's a, I guess I wanted to land on and give a bit more time to and that is a little bit less expected. Um, and, and it comes out in that last verse, verse seven that I read. Having said one, 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 he then says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So having emphasized, what he's trying to emphasize and call them to is this unity of faith, this, this unity together as a church. And so in their character, in their attitudes, their relationships, unity, in their theology, in their thinking, in their doctrine, gospel unity. But then he says, but Jesus has actually given each one of you a different form of grace according to the measure of his gift. He's actually gifted you in completely different ways. So part of the unity that Jesus wants to produce and continue and protect and guard in this church is actually gonna come through a beautiful kaleidoscopic diversity. And that's the bit that's a little bit less obvious to us sometimes. Sometimes we naturally think unity comes about by the same, same doctrine, yes, same character, yes, same Lord, yes, same baptism, yes, same gifting, no. Unity comes actually by complete diversity of gifting, by different people fulfilling different roles because Jesus has made you and gifted you, he has given you a contribution to make that comes from him, therefore it's not just your abilities and your strengths, it comes from him and it's designed to come to you and into the rest of the church. And that's the way he's designed it to work. And now before I go into it more, I just, I wanna just for a couple of minutes at least, I wanna just dive into some deep theology because you, you look like the kind of people that would, you know, you're ready to go deep theology. Um, and I don't know if this is gonna come up on the screen or not. If, if it, it does it, well, I think it will help because it will be more visual. Um, if it doesn't, I'll just attempt to describe it. Uh, the, uh, in verses four to, to six, as I've already described, it's, it's really pushing for unity. It's this, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. Uh, and it comes in kind of three verses, in three sentences. There's one body, one spirit, one hope. Then it says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and then one God and Father 
over all. And it's describing a unity, but it, in the process of describing it, it's describing God as Trinity. It's describing the Spirit, the Lord, and the God and Father who's over it all. And that's how we understand, that's how the Bible teaches us who God is. That there's one God, but that there's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is a bit of a mystery for us to get our heads around. And Matt will explain it in fuller detail uh, in, in a future sermon, I'm sure, if you want to ask him about it over coffee. Um, but the point of it here is that what it's trying to communicate is it's trying to communicate something about the being of God, that there's, there's this unity in God, one God, but that there's this diversity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the way that God has saved his people, you see diversity. You see that the Father sends the Son, the Son obeys the Father, then the Father and the Son send God's Spirit to us to fill us and empower us. And you see the different members of the Godhead playing different roles, but perfectly united because they are one. And what Paul is trying to communicate to this church is that this diversity that's in the church, that we want this diversity and we want unity, and the reason that we want it is not just because that's the way it works best, and it's not for everybody's individual self-actualization, <laughs> It's because that is what God is like. And the, the God who's eternal has been like that for all eternity. That's why the world that he has created, he has made in his image. Which is why when the church functions like this, it is displaying his glory. Now, if you feel like, yeah, that guy's reading a little bit too much into Ephesians 4 for my liking, I don't like English people anyway, and I'm a bit suspicious, blah, blah, blah. Then um, I just encourage you to also read 1 Corinthians 12, which is another letter in the Bible to a different church. But it says actually something very similar. And handily for us, it even has the same verse numbers as Ephesians 4. So if you read it in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it, it's like two different churches, he's writing the same thing. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but there's this perfect and beautiful unity that gets expressed in complete diversity. And that's how it should work in the church as well that there's different gifts and they're given by God and they're given to serve, he says, the common good. They're given not, I don't have any kind of gift because it makes me feel better about myself or because I really need a public platform or that's not it at all. God gives gifts to serve the church and healthy churches, mature churches, united churches get that way because God's grace, his goodness, and his favor and his life comes to them through one another, serving each other in love. And that's how it says later on in Ephesians 4, it says that's how the body builds itself up with each part doing its job. And uh, I think it, I've always found it really inspiring and a kind of a beautiful thing, even conceptually, 
I think the world that we live in, sometimes it, it tends to want to get unity by uniformity. That's quite common. The way we're going to get unity like, is by making everyone the same. You know, like in a school, the way we're going to kind of get a sense of identity is we all have, do you have school uniform in Holland? Is that not a thing? Ah, in England, sorry, diversion, cultural clash there. In England, uh, they make all the children wear the same school uniform. And it's like a way of identifying, this is who we are. We're all wearing the same thing. It's like uniformity. It's like a poor attempt, a very limited attempt at trying to do something like that. Uh, I think in our world we do, even outside the church, we understand something of this. If you look at sports teams, you know, they understand if you want a great football team, you need to have people with very different giftings. You need to have a goalkeeper. It's going to have very different skills to a striker or a midfielder. You want people that are good at passing. You want people that are very fast. You want defenders. You want people that can head the ball. Like Different skills. And what you really want is everyone in that team doing the thing that they are really good at to the best of their ability. And they're the best kinds of teams. Yeah, And we would understand that in the workplace if you're... In business, I think that's understood as well, that you need people with different skills in different departments, and, and the more you can get that, the better. And that's, that's generally understood. But in the church, we understand not just the functional reality of it, we understand the roots and the depths. Why is it like that? Why is the world like that? Well, if you've ever been to see a, an orchestra, you might have 50 or 100 different instruments in sections. And what you're seeing when you hear it is diversity with unity. You're hearing the, the string section and the brass and the percussion and the wind instruments. And, it's, and if they just all played their own thing, it would sound terrible. <laughs> in fact, if, I, if, I, if this wasn't my first visit to your church, I might attempt to do a kind of visual illustration where I would call the worship band back up and I would get them to play different instruments. So I'd get Joe up and she'd be on the violin and someone else would have to sing and someone else would have to play keys. And uh, maybe you'd all be multi-talented and it would be fine and that would obviously ruin my point. Uh, <laughs> but normally it's a nice fun way of demonstrating you've got diversity there but uh, not so much unity. <laughs> When you hear an orchestra playing, or let me put it another way, if you hear 50 trumpets, that could be impressive. If you hear 50 different instruments that have been coordinated, where there's a composer, a writer and a composer bringing it together in perfect timing, in perfect harmony, it's like what you are hearing, what you are tasting in that moment you're actually tasting something of the glory of God because that's God's design. Why, why does music work like that? Because that's what God is like. He has created a world in which the things that thrill our hearts the most, that give us a sense of his glory, are when diversity and unity are coming together. When you are in a church where people with different gifts are serving in love with gentleness and humility and patience, bearing with one another around the same gospel unity, but recognizing different gifts in different people and happy to receive different gifts and not, not, not trying to be someone else because I wish I was that gift and, and, and not limiting myself because I think I don't have, 
have any gifts, when you see that playing itself out in the life of a community, what you taste and what you see is something of the glory of God. That's the beauty of the church that Jesus is putting on display for, the, for not just the whole world, but for even in the spiritual heavenly realms, the principalities and powers to look on and be amazed at the wisdom and the glory of God. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what God's purpose is for you. And as you head into multiplication, those things, I'm sure they're functioning already to some extent. I guess I just want this, is, I want this to be like a massive encouragement and an exhortation to all of you. Because I'm sure if this church is like every other church I've ever been to or heard about, <laughs> there will be a number of people who you're not actually yet fully functioning in the, in the gifting and the grace that God has given you for the rest of the body. It, and therefore it's like an orchestra where we're hearing some of the instruments, but the flutes haven't yet started playing their high notes. There's, there's, like an, there's an aspect, there's a dimension of the glory of God that it's just, you're just kind of waiting, just waiting for that, that high note to come in there. And, or maybe there's like a, a big timpani drum. <laughs> you know, there's someone who's, you, you kind of hear and you're part of it, but you're not yet fully engaged in serving others with the gifts that God has given you. In the book of Peter, which is another letter the guy called Peter wrote, um, it describes this. Um, in fact, let me read it just so I get it right. Um, it's not a good idea generally to misquote the Bible. That's what I've found over the years. A little bit of wisdom for you there. Um, um, in Peter, it says it like this. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. One of the reasons I love that verse, it's kind of saying a similar thing to what we've been seeing in Ephesians 4. One of the reasons I love the verse is because the, the, gift, the gifts that it uses as examples are so varied. It's all, whoever speaks, and we probably in church, we think, yeah, of course, yeah, the preacher should speak as if he's speaking the very words of God, very important. Whoever serves, yeah, very important. Serving teams, we should do that. Multiple services, we need lots of services. But then it also mentions hospitality. I love, I love that kind of breadth. Hospitality is one of the most important gifts in the church, without a doubt. Hospitality literally, the Greek word literally means the love of strangers. It means people who, who you don't know, welcoming them in and showing them love. And uh, my experience of church is that one, when one person operates in their gift, very often what happens is it sparks someone else or other people to operate in their gifts. And I don't know if you've ever, ever played pinball machines. Do you have pinball machines in the Netherlands? They're a bit old fashioned, aren't they? But hopefully you know what I mean, you know, where you kind of flick the sides and the ball goes up and then it hits different things and you get points every time it hits a thing uh, and then sometimes when you're playing a pinball machine you, you flick the ball up and it 
and it just hits a thing and then it just goes between them and you just get loads and loads of points as it just kind of rebounds off one to another. And sometimes when I'm in church and I see it working, I think that is what, that is, what is going on here. Sometimes I know what, what actually happens is you turn up, someone turns up to church and they're walking into church and they're thinking, I don't, I don't even know if I should be here. I'm not a very good Christian. I don't even know if anyone in this church really knows me very well. I don't know if, how it's going to, what the service is going to feel like. But what, but what happens when they walk in is that they meet someone with the gift of hospitality who just comes to them and shows them kindness and a warm, smiling face and welcomes them in and invites them out to coffee afterwards. Which, what that does is it, it's like they taste something of God's goodness towards them through that person. It's like that's what Jesus is like. He welcomes in the stranger and I've just touched something of what Jesus is like by touching that gifting in that person and then that person speaks because they're feeling they've experienced God in some way they speak a word of encouragement to someone else because part of their gift is actually encouraging others and so they encourage someone else and they say oh I've I've always loved it when you uh, when you pray or when you contribute or when you and that so that encourages the other person yeah I have got a gift to do that thing and then that person does that thing and then that encourages the whole church which then it's like you get this kind of multiplier effect And when you multiply services, I just want to encourage you, it doesn't just mean that you need more servers, more kids workers, more set up people, more people serving coffee. It doesn't just mean that, it means you have to multiply everything. If you've got anything in you which loves to just show hospitality and look after others, that needs to be encouraged and multiplied and this church needs you to operate in that gift. Otherwise, it's like we're getting the orchestra but not the flutes. It's like, it's not the whole picture. We want the whole thing. And so I just want to encourage every single one of you. I know some of you might feel like, man, I've only been here like twice. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Come on in. I've only been here once and I'm preaching. So, <laughs> so it's fine. Like, there's an open door. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't an appeal for servers. Like Matt has not said, please, can you come in? And, you know, we need more. Ser-. It's not that at all. This is an encouragement the grace that God has given you, who God has made you, this church needs you. This church does not need you to be like someone else. Doesn't. Doesn't need you to be more like Matt or Joe or someone else. It needs you to be exactly the person that God has made you to be. And that person is gonna be a means of grace, a means of God's showing his kindness to others a means of putting on a display of God's glory in his church. The church of Jesus Christ in another part of the, well, in Ephesians later on is described as being like Jesus' bride. And it describes how he has given himself for his bride. He's, he, did that, he, he did that in order to cleanse her, to wash her, to purify her, and to present her to himself as spotless and blameless. And that is what Jesus is at work at right now, here and around the world, in billions of people. That is what Jesus is accomplishing right now. The the purifying, the maturing, the strengthening of his bride. And uh, I guess my prayer for you is that as you multiply, you would actually grow into that more and more. And uh, as we now come to take communion, and Matt's going to come up in a minute and lead us into it. I just want to encourage you just to 
as you're taking bread and wine, and we do that to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, what he achieved for us, I just want to encourage you to, to draw near to Jesus and uh, to, to come near to the one who died to purify his bride, you, his people, and to come near with a sense of faith that he wants to come near to you and that he wants to come near to you because he's got gifts and grace to, to fan into flame in you, which are for the good of all of his people. Is it okay if I just pray and then I'll hand over? Father God, I thank you so much for what you are like. I thank you that you have come up with a plan <laughs> that you've been working out through all of history that is a plan that we are gonna marvel at for all eternity. And uh, I thank you for this church here. I thank you for every individual in it. That each one, it says, each one has got a measure of Christ's gift implanted in them for the good of others. I thank you, Jesus, as we draw near to you, Lord, that you love to draw near to us. Lord, you draw near to us with gentleness, with so much patience, with so much love for your people. And I pray that even as we worship you now and draw near to you, that you would draw near to your people and do us good. In the name of Jesus, amen.